Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much. And welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is uh, someone that I think a lot of folks who work in aging across this country know. She is a nationally recognized gerontologist, recently was recognized, uh, was named one of the nation's top 50 influencers in aging for 2017 by Next Avenue, the digital journalism arm of PBS. She has a master's degree in social gerontology and has been involved in the field of aging for well over 20 years. Currently serves as vice president of social responsibility for the WellMed medical management folks and is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And once again, as always, Carol, it is good to see you in another program coming our way. Well, it's always good to be here. And one of the issues we're going to take up, and we've got a very special guest who we are about to introduce, who is sitting next to me in our Caregiver SOS on-air studios. On another day, it is our WellMed Radio studios, and our co-host from WellMed Radio, Dr. Marissa Charles, is with us. She is a WellMed Medical Management PCP, primary care physician at Wellman's Clinic at Ingram, also is a graduate of uh, not only uh, medical school, but uh, did her residency in family law and is board certified in family practice. And it's good to see you. Nice to be here. And we have a chance to talk about something that fits right into what this program is, Caregiver SOS on Air, and that is a provider's perspective of bringing that nasty old caregiver into the room with the care recipient. How do you feel about that, bringing a third party uh, into that room? You know, things have changed a little bit since the start of, of the coronavirus pandemic, and we've had to adjust the way that we see patients. And we've had to limit, you know, sometimes the, the number of people that we allow into the room. Prior to COVID, there would be times that I'd have three or four family members in a room, in an exam room, just to give perspective regarding a patient. Right now, because of the pandemic, we're trying to limit the number of people that are coming into the clinics, and so that is a bit of a challenge. But when it comes to patients that are struggling with memory, with dementia, anything along those lines, it is of vital importance to have a family member come in. And and with uh, using new technology, uh, using uh, the interactive FaceTime style, where it's seeing the patient on a television screen, you could have the caregiver with them. Well, and that's something that we have done as well, where we'll have the patient come in and be seen in the parking lot. So we have these pads that we use that are similar to iPads or or tablets that we can use to FaceTime and with a very clear screen and very clear audio. And so when we see them in that form, they can have as many people as they want in the car with no increased exposure. I think it is so cool that clinics across the city are seeing patients in the parking lot. It's curbside service. Curbside I get a pizza service, from Caesars and my doctor from WellMed in the parking lot, right? <laughs> you know, that's right. You know, it's it's something different. We've certainly had to adjust to this new way of seeing patients, but our our highest um, concern is patient safety and decreasing the risk of exposure. And we know that, especially in busy clinics with lots of doctors and medical assistants and nurses running around, the risk of exposure increases. Yeah, and one thing, Carol, you had talked about 
uh, last week as we began our program, uh, was WellMed putting on a concerted effort to get patients into the clinics to be seen, whether it's on a video screen or in person? Well, what I love that WellMed has done and, and what healthcare is doing around the country, you were just talking about seeing uh, patients in the parking lot um, or telehealth, is that we are, you know, we're re- kind of changing everything that we're doing about healthcare to make it safe. And so whether it's, I know with WellMed, Dr. Charles, you'll see a, a person in the clinic, you'll see a telehealth visit on an iPad. We actually drive those grand pads to a home to see them in That's the right. home, mm-hmm. um, or you'll see them in the parking lot. It's drive-up health care. Um, and some of this, do you think any of this is going to last post-COVID? Let's all, let's all say, yes, yes. COVID will end someday. COVID will end, absolutely. <laughs> oh, end. There's, Better days there's are definitely coming. Hope. What, what do you think will stick out of this? Well, you know, I think that a lot of patients have really taken to the telehealth, to the ability to be seen from the comfort of their home. Um, and so I think that that will remain, and we'll use it maybe... Maybe it'll be mostly for acute visits. Maybe it'll be for, you know, hey, I've got, you know, a temperature or I've got, you know, a rash or something that I just need looked at quickly. Instead of driving all the way over to the clinic, they can schedule a telemedicine appointment. And we had even been talking about it and trying it before COVID started. And COVID just pushed us into having to learn a new system and, and adjust to it. So, Well, telemedicine has been around for a long, long time, mm-hmm. uh, but nobody was really pushing it. Uh, There were some issues on Medicare reimbursement. You as a Mm -hmm. provider are going to be reimbursed for the time seen uh, with that patient on a television screen. Absolutely. uh, And Medicare now has agreed to do that payment, which Mm -hmm. solves that issue. Uh, But but I had recently a visit with my PCP. Uh, I've got a rash on an elbow, and I just held it up in front of the camera on my laptop, and she could tell exactly what it was. And got it treated appropriately. Uh, prescribed, told me what to do, and I hadn't left my house. That's right. I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, there are some limitations, of course. Difficult to, for example, listen to lungs or listen to a heart through the, through the device, but there's a lot of exam that you can do, a lot of neurological exam that you can do, um, skin exams. We certainly, most of the systems will also allow you to upload images, like pictures. So if you've got good lighting and you can take a good picture of, say, a rash, for example, you can upload it. You know, we had a visit similar to that with a dermatologist not too long ago. Yeah, so when we drop off the grand pads, it's also my understanding that there are some types of um, other medical devices, maybe, I don't know if it's a blood pressure, but aren't mm-hmm. there some other devices we can drop off at the same time? Yeah, to get I some think vitals? they've got a, a little packet that they put together. And so, yes, the, the driver will bring over and drop off a packet that includes the gram pad, which is very easy to operate and just requires one, one button. One button. They usually will uh, drop off a pulse oximeter. So one of those little devices that you just place on your finger, it checks your oxygen level, it checks your heart rate um, and gives us that reading. Um, they do check, uh, send a blood pressure cuff as well, usually one of the little wrist blood pressure cuffs, which are not necessarily as accurate, but in a pinch will do. And I think sometimes they might even be able to take a scale that you can stand on yes. and get, your, get yourself weight on. So it's a pretty thorough, vital you know, uh, signs that are done. Some patients are able to do it on their own. Sometimes they may need the help of a, of a caregiver to just, you know, help them with, uh, you know, placing the monitors on. But they're usually pretty easy. And I wouldn't be surprised, uh, uh, Carol and Marissa, to see uh, in the near future as telemedicine really takes hold, uh, better interactive sound where there will be a device that you can clip to your chest and you could be listening to their heart at least 
uh, get a sense of what it sounds like sure. and their um, lungs and are they clear? I'm sure those things exist. You know, they just may not be mainstream just yet. <laughs> now, if but, you just yeah. joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with uh, Marissa Charles. Dr. Charles is our co-host on another show, WellMed Medical Management, brings you WellMed Radio. And she is here today uh, joining us on Caregiver SOS on air with Carol Zerniel. And, and we're watching Carol uh, on my iPhone using FaceTime, uh, which is almost the same as you being here. It is amazing. Well, it is amazing. I mean, this is just another example of the technology. And I was thinking as you were talking about it, you know, it used to be that you had to be rural. If you wanted to use this kind of Mm -hmm. technology for medicine, you know, you had to live in a rural community. It wasn't, you know, the people were very concerned that, um, you know, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be accurate enough or would, you know, it just wouldn't work at mainstream. And so as someone who spent years uh, running transportation programs for mm-hmm. older persons and knowing how difficult transportation oh, is. Um, I, I don't think that that many of our legislators realized what a huge uh, difficulty it was getting transportation even in an urban area oh, um, as it was in, out in the rural areas mm-hmm. to come into for a physician appointment. So I, I'm thrilled that the rules have been changed and, and don't want them to go back, you know, and tighten up again at post-COVID. I had a chance to talk with the uh, well physician who's heading up the uh, telemedicine program, uh, and, and he was talking about how fortunate we are in, in a macabre way to have COVID-19, uh, because that has driven us and, and other medical clinics into using uh, telemedicine really out of necessity. Mm-hmm. We've also seen a, a you know a big benefit in our palliative patients and our patients that have a really hard time. Well, one with mobility, with transportation, um, and so we're able to provide care. Think about a patient that's been in the hospital that is very debilitated and weak and has a difficult time getting in a car. Well, we're expected to see those patients, and we want to see those patients usually within two to three days from the time of discharge. Well, before we were, you know, having them get on their little wheelchairs or, or, you know, have the family transport them over to the office. And it's a a very big stress, a very big uh, strain for those poor patients when they're in that debilitated state. So this allows us to come into the home, also allows us a quick peek into their home environment um, and allows us to still provide care and um, make sure that they've filled all their medications. They can show us their little bottles. They can show us, you know, how many pills they've still got in their bottles and make sure that they're taking things the way that they're supposed to without having them physically have to come into the clinic. So I think all of that will stay. I think now, we'll continue to utilize it. Are we still doing house calls? I know palliative care uh, would send people into the home. They would send uh, both PCPs. They would send uh, medical assistance into people's homes, or does telemedicine eliminate that need? They're doing a little bit of both. You know, I know that they have been able to expand services significantly by using the telemedicine and having, you know, a physician be able to provide care for more patients because you do lose some time in the drive. Sure. Um, But, of course, when the need arises and a patient needs to be evaluated, then, yes, I believe they are still doing the, the house visits and the house calls. Um, both the providers and the nurse practitioners and physician assistants that are participating in that particular program. The other change that I've noticed as a a well-med patient uh, going into the clinic, uh, they now take us in through a back way. You don't go through the lobby anymore. 
you know, it depends on the clinic and the way that the the floor plan is in each particular one. Um, and we've all had to make adjustments. Trying um, to avoid contact right. with other people. Well, we've like in in my particular clinic at Ingram, what we've done is we've got like little arrows, and we've got it. Okay, you're going to come in this door. You're going to come in this way. You're going to exit this way. You know, if you need to go um, to the restroom or go through the lab, you go. You know, you follow a certain. Um, direction so that people aren't bumping into each other. Yeah, someone said they want the uh, uh, chicken feet uh, franchise because a lot of places are using chicken feet on the floor uh, as a way to direct people which way oh, to that's walk. That's funny. Okay. So it, it, it <laughs> I works wasn't out pretty sure where well. you were going with that. <laughs> but what other changes have you seen uh, within the clinic uh, because of COVID 19? Oh, well. The protective equipment that we're having to wear. Um, so we've had some challenges, for example, with the the heat, the way that it's been. Um, having to see some of those patients outside, it does take a toll when you are geared from head to toe in you know in protective equipment, gowns, gloves, masks, shields, um, and so it really predisposes you to heat ex- exhaustion and exposure um, when you know for the providers and for the medical assistants that are experiencing that. Um, you know, we're still having a lot of the same, you know, the way that WellMed works and the way that we see our patients, we still have a lot of requirements for making sure that we're doing our preventative medicine. And that has not gone away. We're still trying to track our patients and make sure that people are getting their screening exams done, their eye exams and breast cancer screening. But a lot of that was put on hold and we've had to postpone those tests. Now, one of the things that, uh, Carol, you're very involved in, I want to talk about it in just a moment, is the whole WellMed delivers aspect of how to get food and necessities to folks who are truly homebound. We'll talk about that next right here on Caregiver SOS On Air, along with Carol Zernail, our co-host. I'm Ron Aaron. And our very special guest is Dr. Marissa Charles. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. We're talking about issues that have been brought about thanks to COVID-19, the way the world has changed. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host, and Dr. Marissa Charles, who is the uh, physician at Ingram and co-host of WellMed Radio. Yes, Carol. Well, well, I was listening to Dr. Charles talk about the PPE that they're wearing on the clinic. So what do caregivers need to know about protecting themselves and the person that they're caring for? That's a good question. That's a great question. Well, first of all, we want to make sure that we are social distancing. You know, um, we are still recommending uh, that patients try to stay six feet apart. I know that's difficult, but when they're going out and experiencing or having to be exposed to other people in their community, they need to try to make sure that they're doing that. We are recommending, for example, when we have a patient that does come into the office, we make sure that they wear a mask. Um, sometimes we can offer gloves as well if they if they ask for that. Um, to try to reduce the risk of exposure of them, you know, touching something that might have been contaminated. Um, the masks, of course, are a very good idea. It's one of the few things that we have that does show benefit in reducing um, exposure um, to the virus. 
Um, as far as uh, hand washing, you know, 30 seconds, you know, um, of hand washing, which is more than people typically will do. Um, and the other thing, of course, is using the alcohol-based hand sanitizers to also reduce the risk of exposure. So I know, Carol, things. there are some folks uh, with dementia, with Alzheimer's, who do not like to get washed, do not like to get in the water, don't like to get wet. That would be a special challenge for those families. Well, it can be, and that's why, you know, kind of having a, a different battery. So there's washing hands, there's the hand sanitizers, and then, you know, um, I have known some family members to take the, the alcohol, the 72% isopropyl alcohol, and just put it in like an eyeglass cleaner bottle um, and mm-hmm. spritz the person's hands. Oh, I like that. Just with the alcohol, which is very cooling and refreshing, it mm-hmm. disappears almost immediately. Um, and that, you know, I, for some older persons is a little bit easier to manage than having somebody put on the stuff and rub it in. You just spritz them, hold out your hands, spritz, spritz, all done. That's a oh, pretty that's good a tip. Idea. Mm-hmm. And you could do the same in the clinic, actually. If, yeah, uh, you probably could. If you're concerned about that issue. Mm-hmm. What, what well, other... it also has to do with what you can get hold of. You know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's the Lysol, it's the disinfectant wipes, it's sometimes the alcohol. Those things are still hard to find, even though we can all get toilet paper again. Hallelujah. Yeah, that shortage that never was there it is not here now either. There never was a shortage. Sure. It was just a run on toilet paper. And paper towels. And paper towels. Mm-hmm. And in, paper towels. In the clinic, are you able to get all the supplies that uh, that you need because you weren't using PPE uh, before COVID-19? You know, in, initially there was a challenge, and we were very worried about not having enough protective equipment, and we were reusing, you know, glo- not gloves, but reusing some of the gowns, reusing some of the masks. And we're still careful with our N95s, for example, and we are allowed to use them, I think, Two to three days. N95 is a mask. It's a type of mask that provides extra protection. So if you're exposed to somebody that is either known to be positive for the um, coronavirus or um, is a suspected case, we definitely want to be wearing the extra mask and the extra um, protection. So those masks, if if we're in contact with somebody that is definitely been exposed or has already been shown to be positive, then we're discarding all of that protective equipment immediately after the exposure, but if we're otherwise interacting with patients that haven't been exposed and are otherwise uh, asymptomatic, we don't necessarily throw away, you know, the the N95 masks every single time. Right now, we're actually doing well with the protective equipment. We do have plenty of of masks and gowns and gloves and all the things that we need um, to feel protected there in the office. But yes, it was a fear initially. What are the symptoms that a uh, caregiver ought to look for if they're concerned about exposure. Uh, in a lot of homes today, uh, grandparents uh, are caring for grandkids. A lot of grandkids are out playing, you know, in the neighborhood. They're little petri dishes. They bring home whatever they're exposed to, and so there's a concern there. As much as you might try to keep uh, that youngster from grandma, uh, you know, how do you separate them? How do you keep them separate? And then what are the issues that you might look for in the way of signs that there's a potential risk here? Well, some families go so far as to, um, you know, really isolate if there's any one member in the family that has developed symptoms. The symptoms that we would look for, of course, number one would be fever, high fevers. We're seeing patients coming in with fevers of 102, 103 you know, or higher, but technically anything above 100.4 would be concerning. Now, for people who are 70, 80 years old, a high fever uh, is especially dangerous. It could be, absolutely. Um, cough, shortness of breath, 
um, are other very common symptoms. But in addition to that, some other strange symptoms that we see specifically with this virus, loss of smell, loss of taste. Um, we're also seeing some patients that present less with the fever and the shortness of breath, but with a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach aches. And then, of course, the, the body aches. We have some patients that are describing really significant body aches that you know makes it difficult to even get out of bed. Um, so all of those. And there's a big spectrum. Some patients have very mild symptoms, and some patients will very quickly develop very severe symptoms. Have you had a patient come in and you said, They've got it? Oh, definitely, yes. I mean, and the way that the cases are going here in San Antonio, we're going to see more. Um, and then what's the protocol at the clinic? If, if a patient is seen in the parking lot, looks like uh, they may be a candidate, can you get them tested? We can. We are able to do the testing. Now, um, the type of testing that we're doing in the clinic is a send-out test, and so we may not get those results back right away. So if somebody really, you know, if it looks like COVID and it smells like COVID, we're going to have them act as though it is until we know otherwise. So we tell them to isolate. We tell them, you know, to try to stay in their own area, maybe use the, uh, if there is more than one restroom in the in the household, maybe isolating and using only one bedroom, one restroom um, for that particular person to try to protect anybody else that might live in the household. If, um, you know, so those are some of the things that we are recommending. Does that is that enough isolation? Does that work? I was just curious. Um, you know, for those that watch CNN and Chris Cuomo was very public about his um, contracting COVID and living in the basement, and yet his wife still, you know, managed to contract it as well. So it's this. It's just an unusually contagious disease, is it not? It is, and I think a lot of the the issue is that you can also start being infective before you even have symptoms. So you may have a day or two before you even presented with the fevers where you are passing the disease on. And so, yes, it is particularly infective. Is it enough? I mean, what else can we do? That is probably about as much as we can do. Um, I have heard of cases, though, where one family member contracts the disease and other family members do not. But in so many cases, we see it spread very quickly. And the biggest reason um, is that it, it it's just very, very infective. Even passing a tray of food to them uh, can pass the uh, uh, virus along. Possibly so. You know, just you know, sitting in close proximity without you know any kind of uh, protection does allow for the virus to pass along from one patient to another. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in your household, Carol, you've got a variety of ages. You've got a twenty-something, right? And then uh, you and your husband. Uh, does your son go out? Is he still going to classes, or is it all at home? Well, because we um, do have high-risk folks in our household, uh, we have restricted uh, the college-age son, and he understands that. We've had to have discussions about the friends not coming over. Um, luckily, that you can play video games online, both playing the same game at the same time. Right. Thank goodness for, for that, um, and, and not going out. So, you know, I, I think that... You know the message that we have in our family is that we're all we're all making a sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I go see my father, who's ninety, I make sure I, I isolate myself for fourteen days before I go visit him, just because I don't want to take any chances. Um, we don't normally take a lot of chances, but I really lock myself down just to be safe because I would be, you know, devastated to be the person that carried COVID to someone else. And then you drive a gazillion miles to see him because you don't want to fly. 
Uh, that's right, because flying, then all of a sudden, I'd have to isolate right. for two weeks. Another two weeks. Another plane. two weeks. <laughs> no, and and you know we're experiencing the same thing. I've got my mother who's um, eighty nine at this time, and so but she's living with one of my sisters uh, several hours away. But there's no way, you know, because of my job, there's no way for me to spend fourteen days without coming into contact with anybody. So I haven't seen mom in, in quite a while. But we're using Zoom and we're using FaceTime and we're using everything else that we can. Um, all these technologies that are available to be able to have communication and still feel like we've spent time together. Right. And, and your dad is uh, adapting to FaceTime as well? Carol? Well, we, we, he has used FaceTime. We just got him. He has an old flip phone. So we had just purchased for his <laughs> 90th birthday last week a new iPhone, um, one of oh. the larger models. Wow. That's old. It also still has the button on it because that's, you know, really easier to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ask me next time how it's going with the iPhone. That'll be interesting for sure. And it is a huge change in the way people are interacting. It also affects the way people are working and for uh, for yourself uh, as well. You spend a lot of time out of the office. I do. Well, you know, we have delayed our um, office return. You know, the our our physicians, all of our clinic staff, they're our heroes. Dr. Charles and, <laughs> and everybody at the clinic going in day after day as they have been um, on the front lines. Our senior center staff passing out meals. You know, we're we're up to eight over 8,000 drive-by meals a week. And so for the rest of us, we've delayed return to the office to October. Thank you very much, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. Dr. Marissa Charles with us today. Delighted to have you joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.